Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Good morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bible, uh, your device, you can go ahead and make your way to chapter 5. Church, this morning, I want you to know something uh, above anything else I talk about today. Um, But I want you to know this, that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. These are two emphatic statements that we're going to see in our text today that Jesus makes about his followers. Emphatic meaning that right here, right now, you are salt and light. Not that you're, you're going to be or that you're preparing to be or that you need to achieve something or be a Christian for so long or read your Bible from front to back to, to achieve this. No, that right here, right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Sorry. Uh-oh. I think these two claims of Jesus are vast importance. They were of vast importance 2,000 years ago, and they're of vast importance to us now. That's why I want you to hear that just up front today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, I hope I have the pleasure of getting to meet you at some point. And we are continuing in our series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, new series that we just kicked off last week. Uh, Brandon kicked us off last week. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 13 this morning. Now, The Sermon on the Mount is probably the greatest sermon ever delivered by the greatest preacher ever. So what is to follow today uh, will not live up to that, but I'll try my best. But I want to back up a little bit and set the stage so we understand what's happening here as Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the, the Gospel of Matthew is not written in chronological order. It begins with the Christmas story and ends with Easter, the Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? Those are the bookends of Christ's ministry. But everything that kind of happens in the middle isn't necessarily in chronological order. So while the Sermon on the Mount falls near the beginning of Matthew, it wasn't the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, most scholars think that the Sermon on the Mount took place probably one, maybe even two years into his ministry. He'd been doing this for a while, So by this point in his life and by this point in his ministry, Jesus had attracted a pretty huge following. Some were his disciples or his apostles, right? People that he called out to follow him. Others were disciples or people who had heard his teaching and wanted to follow him as a a rabbi, as a leader. So they, they were following him, listening to him, learning from him. Others wanted to be his disciples, wanted to figure out who this Jesus guy was and why he was so popular. So they're following him around. There are skeptics following him around, trying to figure out who this guy was, what's he preaching, what does this all mean? And then there was those following him around that didn't like him, waiting for him to slip up so they could kill him. But as he goes up onto this mountain or this plateau to preach, he is teaching his disciples. I think every time that Jesus spoke, he was teaching, but the message specifically for his disciples, but really the message is for everyone to hear. So last week, 
In Brandon's message, we saw the Beatitudes or the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that these proclamations of blessings are an invitation for us into the good life of God's kingdom. Not necessarily the good life of an earthly kingdom or the good life that we might think about here on earth, but the good life of God's kingdom. So instead of being a formula for earning blessing or earning favor from God, the Beatitudes are more of a description of what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom. So the Beatitudes really tie directly to our text today and really lead into it because it is the poor in spirit. It is those who mourn, the gentle, the hungry, the merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted, who are the salt and light of this world. So let's go to the text, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's pause there for a second. Salt may be one of the most underappreciated blessings of modern society. Right? The mineral, it's a mineral, sodium chloride. Uh, we find it in every kitchen, on every dining table, at every restaurant. It is in nearly everything that we eat and drink. It's in our meats, our breads, our baked goods, our sweets. <clears throat> it's even in our Coca-Cola in our Gatorade, our sports drinks. It's used throughout the medical world in different applications to help heal. We have such an abundance of salt that in the northern states, we might not know much about this down here in the south, but in the northern states, we throw it on the roads and on our sidewalks to help melt the snow and the ice. Salt is an afterthought for most of us. Unless you eat too much of it, then your doctor's going to tell you about it. But salt in the time of Jesus was as precious as gold. In fact, there was periods throughout the ancient time where one ounce of salt was equal to the price of one ounce of gold. The word, the word salary, right, how we get our paychecks, actually has a Latin origin, and it was used to describe a Roman soldier's allowance to buy salt. So salt... It transcends really what we think about it as a seasoning or, or a flavoring because it can be used to purify, to preserve, to heal, to fertilize, even to destroy. And as tasty as salt is and as much as I love using salt as a seasoning, it's these other things that make it so valuable and that made it so valuable to the ancient world. The ability to preserve foods for longer periods of time helped to modernize the way we produce, the way we consume, and the way we trade food. So it is in this context of salt where it is of extreme value and of extreme importance that Jesus calls his disciples the salt of the earth, meaning that they and you are of great importance to this world. Followers of Christ are to act upon this world as salt does in its various uses. Most importantly, in purity and preservation. You see, the world is dying. It's been dying since Genesis chapter 3. It's broken. And left unchecked, the decay of the world would accelerate out of control. But through the grace of God, he slows that for his mission. 
And he uses the church, he uses the disciples of Christ to help slow the moral decay while the mission of Jesus is going forth. Well, what's the, the mission of Jesus? It's that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would hear the gospel. The good news that he came to restore our relationship with God, to restore us from brokenness to wholeness in our relationship with God. That's the mission. And there are still currently over 3,000 unreached people groups in the world today who have never heard the name of Jesus. The mission is critical, but the mission doesn't last forever. Just like the uses of salt don't last forever. Right, you can use salt to preserve food, to preserve a piece of meat, but it's not going to last forever. It's not going to save that meat from the eventual, the eventual decay that's going to come. So too often I think that as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Christ, that we think our mission is to save the world from immorality, to save the world from the decay that is going on around us. That's not our mission. There is no saving the world as it is. There's only Jesus who calls, who saves, who sanctifies his disciples and prepares us for the world to come. This world is not our home. This world is broken. You have a future with God. This is just the temporary dwelling place whilst the mission of the gospel goes forward. So Danny Aiken says this about disciples. It says, scattered out among the nations of the earth, Christians are to bear faithful witness to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the lives that we live. This, that is what it means to be salt. By the lives that we live, not our words, that the world would be transformed by the power of the gospel. I'm switching microphones. All right. Am I good, Stephen? You got me? All right. Let's try this. So we are to transform by, trans, help transform this world by the lives that we live, not our words. But Jesus gives us a warning. He tells us to be careful. He says, he says what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Well, it's not any good. It's only worthy of being thrown out. But now here's the thing about salt is that salt doesn't really lose its flavor. Sodium chloride is very resilient. You can put it in water. You can boil it down. Uh, and when the water dries up, you have salt again. It doesn't go away necessarily. But what makes salt useless is when it's contaminated, when it's overcome by something else. And this was especially true in the, in the first century because they didn't have the modern processes that we have today to produce salt, to harvest it, to keep it. So salt that was contaminated with other minerals or dirt or impure things was not good, and they would throw it out. And I think here, this warning that Christ gives us, it goes back to the Beatitudes that we saw last week, that the Beatitudes mark a life that is lived free from contamination. A person who lives life in this manner is the salt of the earth. The opposite being would be a person that lives their life according to the world. They become polluted by the world, trying to serve two masters. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the world says, blessed are the proud. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, and the world says, blessed are those who are immune to suffering. 
Jesus says, blessed are the gentle and those who hunger for righteousness. When the world says, blessed are the powerful and those who seek earthly riches. We can go on and on and on and on about the differences between Christ's kingdom and the world. But the point here is this, that the world will take the good things of God, including you, and contaminate them if we allow it. To make them unpure, make them of no use to the kingdom. But you are the salt of the earth. And then Christ doubles down on this metaphor in verse 14. So you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So like salt, I think light is another thing that uh, we we underappreciate and take for granted. Uh, It's one of those modern blessings that we have. Have you ever experienced true darkness? Like not in your house when the lights are off, because you you know your house, you know your way around, so it's not not that bad. But true darkness, if I drop you off, in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains when there's clouds and no moon out at night, it's, it's kind of terrifying. When you can't see what's around you, darkness creates a vulnerability. You don't feel safe. Now, we know little of true darkness in Cobb County. There always seems to be a light glowing from somewhere outside. Uh, or in our homes, light is just a, a reach away on our nightstand and our cell phones or a switch on the wall. We don't have to fear the dark. But like salt, light was precious in the first century. They did not have light on demand, right? They had to tend fires to get light. They had to trim their oil lamps and maintain oil lamps to have light, or they had to make candles and maintain them to have light. So just like with Saul, Jesus telling his disciples that they are the light of the world carries massive weight and massive importance, He says, you're not just the light of the world, you're a city set on a hill. Meaning, you are meant to be seen. You are not meant to be hidden. Just as that city on the hill is meant to be seen, a lamp in a house is meant to be seen, not covered up. Followers of Jesus, you are meant to be seen by the world. Not in a modern context. Uh, Not talking about Facebook or Twitter, or your Instagram, uh, tweeting about your vacation, or or Exxon, whatever they call it now. It's not Twitter anymore. You're meant to be seen by the world in the context of the Beatitudes. So if we're seen in the context of the world, that says, look at me. But if you're seen in the context of the Beatitudes, you're saying, look at Jesus. So we let our light shine before men so that they see our good works, but not our goodness. They see God's goodness, not for our glory, but for God's glory. Now, if you came to the worship night that we had here a few weeks ago, I had a chance to to speak for a moment, and uh, I was able to tell uh, a short story about uh, a new telescope that NASA sent up into space a couple years ago and some of the cool pictures that they they get from that. So if you didn't know, I'm basically a semi-professional astronomer, because I watched a Netflix documentary. Um, so now this week in our astronomy lesson, we're going to talk about the moon. Um, the moon is a big rock that floats around the earth. 
the end. But really, the moon is really a, a satellite that orbits around a planet. They call it a satellite. Just like we are, the earth is a satellite that orbits around a star. <clears throat> and as far as we know, the moon is mostly just made of rock. It doesn't really produce anything on its own, and it definitely doesn't produce any light. Yet, on most clear nights, you can look up in the sky and see the light of the moon glowing in the dark. Well, why is that? Well, if you passed third grade science, or if you watch too much Netflix like me, you know that the light is actually reflected, it's the light of the sun being reflected off of the moon. The moon is just reflecting somebody else's light. And that is the picture that we're getting here from these verses when we, he says we are the light of the world, because we have no divine light in ourselves. In fact, because of our sinful nature, we often produce darkness. But those who have chosen to follow Christ now reflect his light back to the world. And we are only the light of the world because Christ is the true light of the world. And we are meant to reflect Jesus, the light of the world, not to hide it. Christians, you're meant to be seen, not hidden. Now, it's not hard to look around, uh, to look at the news or social media, and realize that we live in dark days. But I think we often forget or we want to inflate our own struggles because the world has been dark since Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered the world and broke everything. It broke us and it broke the world. And since then, there's been death and murder, disease, war, hate, racism. Every manner of terrible things has been going on since the beginning. In every generation or two, we have to deal with it in our own unique context, and we think it's the worst, and we think the end is coming, and maybe it is. But it's really just more of the same. The world has always been broken. But here's the big idea today, and I hope we don't miss this, that in the midst of a broken world, that God is still on a mission. In the midst of this broken world, God is still on a mission, and Jesus came to redeem a people for the kingdom. Not just to be citizens, but to help build the population by being salt and light to an ever dark and decaying world. Jesus came on mission, and you are part of that mission. You are the lighthouse. You are the preservative for this world. You are a city on a hill. But here's the thing about salt and about light. Without the proper application, they're both kind of useless. I can have a light or a flashlight or a lamp, but if I don't use it how it's meant to be used, it's, it's not good for anything. Or if I have salt in a salt shaker, but don't put it on anything. If we have salt in any other form that we can use it in, but we don't put it on anything, it's not going to work for us. It's not going to do anything for us. But with the proper application, salt and light can change the world, and we've seen that throughout history. Now, a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, alone and not applied, is kind of useless. But a follower of Christ, together in gospel community, with the proper application, has the power to change the world. You have the power to change the world. 
to preserve, to purify, to flavor, to heal, to bring light to dark places with the power of the gospel. And you say, I, I can't do that. That's not me. Look at what 12 normal guys 2,000 years ago, fishermen and tax collectors and sinners who knew nothing. They weren't smart guys. They weren't Bible scholars. They weren't Old Testament scholars. They were normal guys, and they changed the world. So the tension that we must walk in and that really every Christian has had to walk in for the last 2,000 years is being in the world but not being of the world. See, if you're not in the world, you can't apply salt and light. If you're not in the world, you can't apply it. And that has been the pool, I think, in America for decades now, is that we think that the world is too far gone. We think our country is too far gone, and there's no saving it, so let's just focus on us. Let's take care of us. Then our churches become exclusive clubs. We close the doors to outsiders. Then the pool in the other direction is, let's just welcome the world into the church. And you're like, yeah, that's a good thing. Welcome the world into the church. But we welcome the world into the church where you can't tell the difference between the church and the world anymore. And we use the excuse that, no, no, we're just going to love people like Jesus loved people. Yes, Jesus loved people. He loved sinners. He came to them but he also asked them to change and follow him. But both of these ways are wrong. We can't hide from the world and we can't be in the world or of the world. We have to walk as believers and as a church in the tension of being in the world and not of the world. That is where we can be salt and light. So how? I wanna give you four ways Four points of application, how we can be salt and light. One of them, I'm just going to highlight because we talked about it last week, so we're not going to go into it. But if you didn't hear Brandon's message last week, hop on Facebook or Spotify and listen to the message from last week. Number one is to embrace a life marked by the Beatitudes. To embrace a life marked by the Beatitudes. So the next three are simply marks of being a disciple. So at Mercy Hill, we like to say that a disciple is a lifelong apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus is the source of salt and light. And if we're an apprentice of Jesus, we want to emulate Jesus. So here's three ways you individually and we as a church can emulate Jesus. Number one, Jesus was on mission and we should be too. Jesus was on mission and we should be too. As soon as Jesus began his earthly ministry, it was clear what he was doing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all testify to this. He was immediately calling for repentance, telling people that the kingdom of God was at hand, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, helping restore relationships, so Jesus not only invites us to be a disciple, but he also invites us to partake in the mission with him. But not just invites us, he commands it. Some of his last words on the earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
That's what we know is the Great Commission. But not partaking in the Great Commission is like putting a basket over the lamp of our life or having salt and not utilizing it. I hear people say sometimes that I just don't feel God. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel his power in my life. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. But if you want to experience the power and the presence of God, you will never experience it more than when you are obedient to his call to be on mission with him. Because you can't be on mission without him. You can't do it without him. You need him. And you will experience the presence of God in your life like you never have before. Now, some of you are like, what? I got to go around saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. No, not necessarily. There might, there, there's an application for that from time to time. But mission most often begins with relationships, with trusts, building relationships with people, and then acting as salt and life, light in their life. When we approach the mission this way, the gospel naturally presents itself. That's why we have this, these missional practices, right? It's very easy to meet with somebody and listen, to share a meal, to share a cup of coffee, and be salt and light in their life. Some people just need to be listened to. Some people need to be prayed for. Jesus was on mission, and we should be too. Number two, Jesus did not stray from controversy, and we shouldn't either. Now, controversy doesn't seem to be lacking in our world today. Uh, you can pull out your phone right now, and you can find some on any social media app or news thing that you would pull up. It smacks you in the face every day. But how we deal with controversy is a lot different than how Jesus deals with controversy. Because how we deal with controversy is we pick a side and yell at the other side. And Christians aren't immune to this, right? We pick our sides and yell at the other side. That's not what Jesus did. First, he didn't pick sides because he was the right side. But Jesus went to the source of the controversy and addressed it. He dined with sinners, with criminals, tax collectors, prostitutes. He called out the religious elite who were practicing legalism. He went to them in person and pointed them to a better way. He met with the immoral, the corrupt, and the broken, and he brought his light with him. And this is where we have to walk that fine line of being in the world but not being of the world. So I think we have to fight the urge to use the light that we've been given like a flashlight. I think I said this a few months ago when I preached, that we want to take it and point it at people and say, look at you, look what you're doing, look at your sin. That's not what Jesus did. Or we just want to stroll into the darkness without light and embrace it, saying it's just, it's just the cultural norm. It's just the culture today. What if we used our light like a lantern 
bringing it with us into the dark places and illuminating everything, not just pointing people out for their brokenness, but lighting up their world, meeting people where they are, not affirming, not condoning, not condemning, that's God's job, but loving, building relationships, pointing them back to the gospel. Jesus did not stray from controversy We shouldn't either. We should just handle it better than we do. Number three, Jesus came to serve and we should be serving too. Jesus came to serve and we should be serving too. Remember his words? The son of man came to serve, not be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talk about the two extremes of the church, wanting to hide or wanting to embrace the world. I think there's another thing that the church is falling prey to more and more and more. I think both camps can fall into this, and that is uh, consumer Christianity. It's that the church and the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ has been, become a product for you to consume. That churches with the best production value and the most contemporary cool hip worship, the preacher who tells the most cool stories, the best stories, and and sprinkles on some life advice for you, or the top-notch kids programming or student ministry so you can drop your kids off and they can have fun and you don't have to worry about it. A church that is all about serving you. But this is the exact opposite of what Jesus was doing and what Jesus taught. That's not the church that he founded because we are called to serve others because Christ came and served us. Let me say that again. We are called to serve others because Christ served us. We are not called to serve God. We are called to serve others. Now, Paul warns us about this in Acts chapter 17, reminding us that God is not served by human hands. God doesn't need anything from us. People do. People need things from us. God provides for us. So we serve others so that we may glorify God and point people to him. So, If you're here this morning and that's you, man, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Uh, We love you. We want you here. I I don't know if we have the best church for you to consume. I'm sure there's better shows out there somewhere, but we're glad that you're here and you're welcome here every week. But what I'm afraid of is that you will never experience the fullness of God in your life while you're sitting on the bench. You can never experience the richness and the blessings of God while you're just sitting there against the wall. Christ came to serve, so we should serve too. And we try to make that easy here. We try to make serving easier. We have multiple teams that you can serve on a Sunday morning so you can serve other people. Mercy Hill would not exist without people serving. But we don't want to just serve here, right? We don't want to become that club that just serves each other. That's why we have multiple community partners that we want you guys to work with. We have missional communities. 
That's how we do small groups here. Not so that the groups would be focused on themselves and become like a club themselves, but so they would be focused missionally in their community, serving others. So that we can be salt and light, not just to the people in this room, but to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, all the way to the nations. Jesus came to serve So we should be serving too. Church, Christian, follower of Jesus, whatever you want to call yourself, if you profess Jesus as Lord, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right here, right now, right where you're at. So the question is, how are you going to apply yourself? How are you going to apply yourself? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.